Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm Lauren Lee, and I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. All right, let's do this and dive in. My guest today is a fellow podcast host. She and her sister have a show called Work in Progress. And these two are incredible. I just finished up interviewing with them for their show, and we thought it'd be fun to switch roles and hear their stories to share them with the We Belong Here community. They believe that our careers should grow and change just as we do, whether it is to find a career that suits us or a field that aligns with our philosophy or simply to provide more for the family. They want to encourage those seeking change and those feeling stuck to make the transitions that they want to for themselves which, hello, those are all the buzzwords I love and I'm similarly passionate about, hence why I'm so happy to be having this conversation today. Anyhow, Dana spent about 10 years working at biotech companies, mostly in R&D, and she's considering switching away from her current role and is curious to learn how other people have changed their paths. And Angela also spent about 10 years working in biotech companies, but in operation roles. And she got an MBA to transition to product management, but shortly after being in product, decided to learn to code in order to transition into tech. Today, we'll be highlighting Angela's story, but Dana is with us as well to join in on the fun. So welcome to the show, Angela and Dana. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Yeah. Thank you for having us. So let's see. Angela, can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered tech? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I definitely spent a majority of my career working in various roles and operations um, at different biotech companies. And it all really started because I went to college. I wanted to do something that my parents approved of um, as mm. a good, you know, good kid. I didn't want, really want to like argue against them. So they said, do something that's business related. And I did. So I went to college. I got um, started with some kind of a business uh, major. And then I realized that, you know, by the end of my sophomore, actually, it was the end of my freshman year, I realized that my sister, who also was doing college as me, who didn't really listen to our parents, had a pretty pretty different major, um, was really having a great time. So I thought, well, you know, since I'm here for four years, I might as well have two majors. Why don't I try whatever she is doing? And, you know, because she seems to like it so much. She so, seems to be having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're the rebellious sister, it sounds like. What were you exactly. pursuing? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so I chose biology because I just found myself really, really enjoying biology classes when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do next. So that was the major of choice for me at the time. <laughs> yeah, so that really just had a, I guess, quote unquote, strong enough influence so that I had two majors and I ended up with two degrees. Oh. Um, oh, at the time, <laughs> I, I thought, you know, since I'm going to be there for four years, I might as well, you know, get the most out of it as, or as much as I could. So I had two majors and leaving college. Um, it was, I remember the year 2008, actually not 2018, 2008. <laughs> so when the economy had really, really, I want to say rock bottom, but yeah, during, moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're in COVID, in, I know, in the I middle know. of COVID, so maybe we will see another bottom. Yeah, I digress. Let me <laughs> go back to that. So then I really just picked a role that um, at the time that I felt like I was most confident doing um, because I had 
several internships when I was in college doing something related to molecular biology. So I started working as you know, a very on a very um, small team as an individual contributor, somebody that works in the molecular um, diagnostic laboratory processing animal samples. And um, I then moved on to a different role at a different company um, working on genetic sequencing or DNA testing slash genetic sequencing because of the whole uh, molecular diagnostic realm. Um, kind of at my second job, actually, I remember the company was doing not great. And then one day everyone got a call that oh, no. um, essentially, yeah, <laughs> the uni was not going to be good. When you get a call on a day when you're not working and your manager tells you, listen, Angela, so tomorrow when you come into work, everything's going to be okay. But I just want to tell you that there was the decision made to um, essentially trim the company by about 15% across the board. Mm-hmm. So somebody else, you know, on the team that you were working with for a while um, may no longer be around because of the layoff. And that was to me like a very eye-opening experience. Um, I kind of experienced quote-unquote layoff for the first time in my life ever. Um, Even though I didn't get laid off, I felt like it was honestly almost harder being the person that was still, that was kept by the company. I still had to do what I needed to do. But the overall morale... And then, you know, just like the general team spirit was very down, very low. And at that sure. time, I realized I like knew nothing about how people run companies. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. wanted to learn more about, you know, how people make business decisions. How do we decide, oh, we're going to do uh, maybe two of the five projects that were proposed. You know, what what was the what was what were the requirements or were the decision making process like? I didn't know anything about. So that kind mm-hmm. of inspired me to go to business school. Cool. Yeah, during that time, I guess um, when I was in business school, I met a lot of people that were not in operations. People were in marketing, people had backgrounds in sales. And oh, sure. yeah, I met a lot of people who were actually product managers. And for the first time, I was learning about a completely different profession that I had never realized existed. So I realized mm-hmm. that actually there are people that are going out to talk to users of the products and then learning how to build them and trying to position themselves differently than other competitors. And to me, it really was eye-opening. And I decided that, you know, that sounded like something I wanted to do because within operations, you're not very encouraged to um, get in touch with your users. A lot of the times you don't know how your users feel about what you're producing as a product. You just produce because that's your role. You execute. And for me, um, I just always, you know, sometimes in the back of my mind thinking, are we really giving our users the best we can? I mean, right. you know, we're trying to do our best, but is this really fitting their needs? I don't know. I didn't have access to that kind of information, but I really just felt that, you know, I want to be a product manager so I can know if the things that I'm producing are actually helping them or if yeah. there are ways that I could be tweaking our product, you know, what are they? I, I want to know the feedback. So yeah. I went on a little, I guess, journey to become product manager. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was a product manager at a life science company and then, moved on to a a biotech company and then realizing that um, a lot of the product I was building went from physical products to software products that are not Mm. physical that I cannot see quite well. I mean, I can see them on the UI, but I cannot touch them. So the different considerations are very like dramatically different. And one afternoon, I remember sitting down just talking to an engineer about, you know, timelines, when can we get this feature out the door? And I was very surprised. (laughs) Yes, it's a very, I guess, yeah, familiar conversation for you, probably, most likely. Um, I just remember being told that a very simple drop down to me at the time 
was going to take like three times longer than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And then I, it, it really just was that triggering moment for me to realize that, well, I have no idea how things are built yeah. um, in code. I don't know how things just show up on the screen um, because as a product manager, I ask for things to show up in a drop down, but I don't know what it you takes to actually have it happen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So then I decided, you know, I should probably learn about this, right? So I know their pain. I know why engineers have to tell me, well, actually, it was going to take three more days versus just three hours. Yeah, that was kind of, I guess the rest is kind of history. I, um, that is incredible. To- <laughs> yeah. No, I just think it's, you don't hear of every product manager wanting to say, oh, I want to lift the veil a bit and understand how this is happening and what mm-hmm. you're doing and how it, all of the things that I'm wanting and demanding for <laughs> that actually the sauce gets made. And that's so cool that you then said, I'm going to pause. And <laughs> my next question usually is, how did you decide to learn to code and how exactly did you learn it? But mm-hmm. th- this point is when you said, okay, I'm going to look for opportunities to make sense of this. Yep. Yeah. The, that was the triggering moment at work. That's a delightful moment. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah. I think personally at the time people were starting to get a little bit more into coding in general and I was mm-hmm. curious, but it was never curious enough to actually do it. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, even at my work, I felt like I need to know how things work in code. So, and I just started really with a lot of the free resources that you can find online nowadays, even. So I started mm-hmm. with Python for everybody. I think a lot of the free resources, like Free Code Camp, I used that. Um, I used, I think, Code Academy, um, Coursera. So started really started with free resources. And I did a few of the intro level courses on different websites. And I realized that, oh, they're built and designed by different people. So they cover generally similar topics, but a little differently, you know, the yeah, teaching sure. style the material and the way they approach the um, kind of presenting how, how they present a content is a little different. Um, and then after I did a few rounds of that, I feel like, okay, I can continue to do this, but you know, like how technical do I want to be? And sure. um, how do I get to technical enough so that I can actually build something like, let's say any app that I'm using. And of course I know that's going to take a lot more work, a lot more time and a lot more just dedication into learning how things work. But I also was, I guess, hitting a point in my career at that time where the company I was in as a product manager, they wanted me to do non-product related roles. And um, I felt that, okay, I could continue and stay around and do something that wasn't what I really, you know, I wasn't super passionate about, or I could take that as kind of a sign to say that maybe it's a time for me to just, you know, dive all the way into the deep end of the pool and dedicate myself to learn and be as technical as I can be because Mm -hmm. from what I was able to see I think a lot of the product roles were starting to you know prefer candidates with some technical um, background or abilities and Mm -hmm. I think everyone will always tell you you don't need to know how to code to do to be a product manager but it's always helpful and I wanted to you know kind of be more technical than I needed to be to do well in a product um, capacity I think that was the goal at the time so I decided then to um, move on from that role. And then when it just started to learn coding full time. And so um, I think within a few weeks, once I got a little bit, I guess I ramped myself up enough, I yeah. joined a coding bootcamp. And then, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, how I learned to code. 
I see. It's so incredible to hear a story of someone saying, I'm going to invest in myself right now. I have a <laughs> career opportunity and I could pursue that, but you know what? I can project where things are going into the future. I will always benefit from having this technical background and understanding of how this all works and, and what I'm asking the engineers to build and under, kind of being able to empathize with them too. Mm-hmm. I think that makes for a really positive relationship between engineering and product right. when product kind of uh, is able able to say, hey, I know this might take a bit of time or understand the complexity of something. I think that really behooves a positive relationship and opportunity for you to influence a roadmap decision then to Mm -hmm. say, this is the best choice to happen. And, you know, it may not be a sexy feature that comes (laughs) out, but, you know, we're going to tackle all of this legacy code. And if you understand the value in that, you know, that team is going to be super happy, I imagine then also. So there's, Mm -hmm. I mean, such a good symbiotic moment happening in that. That's super cool. So what was your bootcamp experience like? Tell me about that. Yeah. So I want to say, um, I, hmm, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I got to think about this. I guess I can't say I had a hundred percent like five-star experience from that, but mm-hmm. I will say, um, but yeah, I will say because I made the choice to join that particular bootcamp, um, after some research that I did myself. So, um, what I did really was, you know, once I start to feel that, you know, I am getting to a level where I feel like I'm comfortable comfortable doing the free resources online, I wanted to join a bootcamp. And when I decided that I actually started talking to people um, on LinkedIn that showed that they went to a particular bootcamp. So because of where I'm located in the Bay Area, um, there are quite a few bootcamps here. And um, Mm -hmm. I actually didn't know anyone who had completed a bootcamp at the time, actually probably one. So I definitely talked to her and see, you know, what her experience was like, and then learning about everybody's really experience during the bootcamp and then leaving the bootcamp. So I talked to about 15 people um, to kind of help me narrow down to like one or two that I really wanted to join. And I will say I picked the one that um, I guess I had um, an indirect contact or maybe like a third degree contact on LinkedIn who um, joined bootcamp and also became some kind of a teaching assistant. So worked for the bootcamp for a little bit and then, you know, had to me at the time, I thought was a pretty good, you know, projection, uh, I guess um, a career transition after out of the bootcamp into a role that I thought was really amazing. So um, I went with that particular one. And I will say my overall experience was good. But I will kind of at a side note, like a caveat is, you know, I will say that it's not for everyone. Um, and I guess I can only speak to the particular one that I joined actually was Hack Reactor. And, you know, it, I think every bootcamp probably is run by very different people with different mindset and design built into it. So the overall feeling um, as you go through the bootcamp curriculum, you'll feel pretty different. I spoke to um, my friends who actually completed Hackbride bootcamp and, you know, overall she said everyone was very supportive. The overall experience was great. It was definitely, you know, a learning curve for everyone because most people didn't really have any previous um, coding or engineering computer science background. So, um, you know, it was definitely like a hard learning process, but people were generally very friendly and then very supportive. I felt generally the same way about Hack Reactor, um, mm-hmm. but I did think that because I picked the in-person curriculum or the program, the curriculum actually requires that you're on site for six days out of seven days a week. Oh. and. 
it was yeah that extra day really just made it all that extra day <laughs> how much harder wow. um, yeah so like six days out of seven and then um certain things that they did i think execution wise i you know did wish that they were a little bit more sensitive to how much i guess pressure you could have as just an individual learning to code with zero background already mm-hmm. you know like like you mentioned in your own experience i think it's definitely also like a very difficult learning curve and you know everyone gets very anxious sometimes because you're thrown into an environment where you don't know anyone and you're learning something that's brand new and when you're stuck on something sometimes you could be stuck for three hours and you just like still don't know how to do it so right <laughs> altogether a very different learning experience and i will say compared to grad school i will say you know, there were moments in business school where I thought, wow, this was so hard. But I felt like if I had spent three hours trying to understand something, I usually can get to a point where I felt okay and comfortable. Right. Not quite the same thing with coding. I feel like sometimes I could literally be stuck for three hours and oh still gosh, felt dang. exactly. I, I constantly will banging my head against the computer being like, I'm the dumbest person I've ever met. <laughs> But it's just, it's so easy to fall into that. And then the second you learn or you do figure it out and you solve that problem, you move on to the next one. And so we never even have time to really celebrate and remember that we did learn it. And so it's just that up, down, ebb, flow thing that we really fall into. And Mm -hmm. early days of learning it, I mean, it's so tough. And I, I was really lucky because the program I attended, we had workshops constantly about kind of the other pieces of the industry. So not, not just, you know, okay, here's tips on interviewing and here's tips Mm -hmm. negotiating, but we had workshops and panels where prior graduates from the program come in and say, here's how to identify an ally. Here's how to seek out a mentor. What does that look like? You know, Mm -hmm. how do, how do pinpoint spots and companies that value diversity? How do you recognize a manager that sees, you know, your prior life experiences, non-traditional path to tech as a benefit as opposed Mm -hmm. to detractor. And so I was really grateful to be in an environment where we were acknowledging that like full encompassing part of the story, because it's not just the code bit too. Like there's so much more. Yeah, totally. I I think that's amazing that, you know, they were able to build that into Ada's program. I think perhaps because it's a little longer um, in Mm -hmm. terms of the overall timeline. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you definitely are able to do a lot more if you have six months versus like you only have 13 weeks. So like a little over three months. So yeah, I will say, you know, obviously my comment is just, you know, personal comment from that particular cohort. I want to make sure I, you know, like give Hack Reactor their credit for, you know, putting the curriculum together. And they do focus on the fact that, you know, being a software engineer is a lot about being technical, but it's also mm-hmm. a lot about your soft skills, right? You need to be able to work with other people. You know, when yeah. you're pair, pro- pair programming or, you know, doing code reviews and things like that, you need yeah. to be able to explain what you understand and how you actually go about debugging certain things. And those are all soft skills that they focused on building, you know, your skill set up as you go through the program. But because it's a 13 week program. So I think, you know, sometimes as you're doing, you know, these bootcamp research, if you're interested in going to one is, you know, sometimes it's kind of like a reality check for yourself, understanding that, you know, if you're going to go for a 13 week bootcamp, then there's only really so much that they can cram into the the curriculum. And then also kind of try to understand how much you're able to do, how, how much you're able to learn in that 13 week period. Because, um, I think everyone probably will tell you that 
your learning doesn't stop after the boot camp's over. It's definitely lifelong. (laughs) (laughs) Forgiving to yourself that you're not going to learn it all in that 13 week time. And so, but hopefully the the program will help you identify what's the next steps and how to maybe even teach you just to be a learner in the first place, because we kind of forget how to teach ourselves these new skills as as adults. And so I think a big thing I learned in boot camp was just how to tackle and make sense of a new tech framework or or language. And I now feel confident that I can learn something that I've never even encountered before because I have the tools to break it down into the components, whatever it is, and recognize the patterns in it also Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's cool that you mentioned the piece about them emphasizing, you know, the technical piece is important, but also those soft skills. I have a friend, Dawn, in the Seattle tech space. She calls them uh, professional skills. She's like, (laughs) they are so important. And so we need to stop putting them to the side because they make us better engineers or product manager, whatever it is. And I'm so glad to see that it's getting attention in space in curriculums like that. So it's cool to hear that they're giving some time and emphasis on that for sure. Mm -hmm. So tell me then, how has your past within STEM helped you today in your role as a product manager? Mm -hmm. I will say definitely a lot of it is due to the fact that I've had the time to accumulate that kind of domain experience. So I've worked at several different sequencing and genetic testing related companies. So I have a pretty solid understanding of what the market is like, what are different product offerings out there, and also how generally operations teams work and how Mm. uh, products are built within different companies. Okay. So that's not to say that, you know, if you want to be a product manager, you have to spend 10 years (laughs) working in that industry. I don't think so. I think, you know, it's really very much like what you said, it's to really learn the tool sets as you go about life and, you know, different careers to kind of be able to teach yourself to learn new things because there's always going to be new things and new products that you want to build, new language that you're trying to Mm -hmm. pick up. And Mm -hmm. it's also about kind of exposing yourself and letting yourself be okay with the fact that you you don't know everything just yet. But (laughs) (laughs) the growth mindset mentality and feel comfortable in that for sure. It's hard. I mean, whenever someone says I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable, I'm like, prove it because that's really (laughs) difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. But okay, actually, I realized as you're speaking about this like global kind of understanding that you really benefit from now, I'd love to understand more about what you do as a team lead. Is that the role that you have right now? Um, Actually, so I guess the team lead role was strictly in operations. And my current role right now is a product manager, I guess, for an internal tools um, at the same company. So I will say, yeah, it's a little bit of a detour, quote unquote, if you will, from my bootcamp experience. So I will say that I actually was offered the role to lead a small team while I was still at the boot camp because of my past, I guess, a relationship with some of the people that I was still working at sure. um, at my last or still current company. So they basically reached out and they said, you know, we have a team that's really small right now that we are hoping to bring a little bit more scale and structure to in. If this is something you're interested in, you know, we're happy to have you come on site and talk to the people. And to me at the time, it really sounded like and felt like a detour because it was not a technical role. It was really more of a leadership role. But as I was fin- finishing my bootcamp, I, I just remember that my very first manager told me that, you know, a lot of the times leadership roles and certain things will expose you to the kind of experiences that you don't get to have unless you're really put in that situation. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me at the time, while it was a little conflicting with what my overall high level and long term career goal I felt that it was a a worthwhile detour for me to kind of take that detour to be exposed to certain situations where 
I have to give people, well, we don't call it performance reviews, but it's essentially performance reviews where I have to have some of these harder conversations about productivity at work and about setting up processes when there's no process and how do I get a team that, you know, is currently kind of just, they're running great on their own, but, you know, we as a company has hit a scale where we need to bring more structure into it. How do I start to kind of, you know, put people onto some of these different structures that they're not quite used to. So I thought that on a personal level, it was something that I would want to have for my professional kind of resume to be able to talk about, you know, I've had the experience where I have to sit people down and let them know that we need them to, you know, pull more weight. And, you know, how, how did I set up a structure to help that person receive the feedback and then also give me the feedback and then vice versa. And then helping that person still become more and more successful as a team member even though, you know, there's some past histories of some things not quite working well with that person. Yeah. So some of these things were I thought was valuable to obtain at that time, even though it was a detour. (laughs) But then I guess halfway through it, I knew that and even before I started, I knew that it wasn't going to be like a long term thing for me to do. And I think that my manager at the time also knew that as well. Mm. But I think what the company needed at that time was somebody that was able to kind of bring these people together. And then I was able to kind of fill in for a little bit. And then I discovered another role internally to build the internal tool. So I since transitioned to (laughs) um, a different side of the company. And I'm now working with product again, but in a little bit of a different capacity, I will say in uh, as compared to the previous product roles where those were external customer facing products. Now I am building products for internal users. So it's a little bit of a different audience for sure. And then also a different feeling when I talk to the engineers, because I feel like I'm, you know, almost as close as actually working on the code myself, but I'm able to kind of dive into like looking at mm-hmm. how they set up the system, how they're doing the design, and then also kind of just like having a deeper understanding of how the whole system is actually built within the company. Yeah, that's neat. That's really cool. I mean, I guess, are you enjoying that role? Yeah, I will say I'm definitely still in that phase where I feel like a lot of it is new and I'm getting to see, you know, people's pull requests. I can see, you know, like people doing code reviews and things like that, even though I'm not actually approving their code, but it allows me to kind of see how systems are built up and What's neat, I think, is the fact that I have, I would say, pretty solid experience using our internal tool from a user's perspective. Right. Oh, that's so valuable. Yeah, how it's like actually set up in code. And I'm just, you know, like still, you know, constantly very amazed at the fact that, you know, you can have users that understand the process really well because they physically do it and click through mm-hmm. things. And then you can also have engineers who never really click through a lot of things, but they know how things work as well because they built that logic <laughs> behind it. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a really, really interesting perspective. So yeah, it's, it's, it's so far I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. That's so cool. I'm glad. I'm very happy that you found that one. I think there's a lot of learning opportunities to be had there. And that broader perspective sounds like your team is really benefiting from for sure. Can you share any life lessons that you've learned since your transition to tech? I will say the biggest one really is to be comfortable with the fact that learning really is going to be a thing that, you know, is never ending. I think (laughs) (laughs) for people like me with like very, very non-traditional, unconventional background and path to technology, to coding and to computer science, I think I feel like it's a given that I'm always forever going to be, you know, revisiting even maybe basic Yes, fundamentals, because I just never had the four year time to be dedicated to that. But, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are 
you know, in those more linear careers where they went to school four years to learn computer science and they only worked as a software engineer, but they're still always constantly learning new things and they will have languages that they've never used and don't remember how to write anymore because they haven't touched us in school. So Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I guess I just continue to tell myself if the next time I feel like, oh gosh, I I don't know what I'm doing. You know, when I get hit by imposter syndrome hard, I just remind myself that you can have people that are, you know, senior software engineers and still don't know how to do X, Y, Z, right? Because they're still having to learn because there's always new technologies being developed and being launched and not everyone's going to know how to do everything. So we're somewhat on the same boat. Definitely. doesn't define you or your intelligence by any means. Exactly. But it's hard in those moments when you don't know why something isn't working <laughs> to tell yourself that for sure. <laughs> but thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm really curious to know about how you and your sister decided to start your podcast, Work in Progress. Yeah, I think maybe Dana needs to actually tell the story because I uh, wasn't if anything, this was her brainchild in the very beginning. Oh, cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's kind of a, let me see. So it started in 2017, really. That was the time that I was almost hitting my 10-year mark in biotech. And mm-hmm. I was going through some kind of transition in a way. Our company wasn't doing well and I was let go. And so I've had some time to really think about what to do next. And in the two, three months that I was unemployed, I talked to a lot of people in my field that I know in my network to help me decide kind of what to do next. So mm-hmm. in, in biotech, in the lab world, it's very common to switch out and, you know, venture into other paths, but still staying in biotech. For example, you okay. can go and become QA or you can become like more like an engineer. You can work with more automation. Just, you know, take a few courses and learn how to uh, write some code for um, big automation to handle liquids for for humans. So those are very common roles. And I talked to a couple of them and I realized that these conversations are very helpful because you actually get to talk to the people who are doing the roles and they have the same background as you. So they're able to provide you with a very specific perspective. They can tell you that, um, you know, you have this experience. And if you want to consider, say, becoming a QA, these are the things that you will need to to do or, or like the courses you need to take on. These are the people you need to talk to. So I, for myself, I found at the time that it was really, really helpful. And so I decided to put them online. And so in the beginning, it was sort of just like a blog form. And I got a job. And after I got a job, I got super busy. So I kind of just forgot about it. <laughs> Didn't really update it anymore. <laughs> That's a famous story of blogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. And I was really excited about the job that I was starting at. So um, I just had no time to think about other things. So I just decided that I'm just going to put it on the back burner and think about it later. And then I think it was sometime 2018, I was chatting with Angela and she made a suggestion that now that people are consuming podcasts a lot more and, you know, it's a it's a very it makes a lot of sense when you're working out or when you're driving to from work. It's, you know, just such a good thing to do other than listening to music. And so I thought that, yeah, maybe I could turn this into a podcast because they kind of all started as a conversation anyway. Mm-hmm. We just decided that we're going to launch a podcast and we um, basically interview people who switch careers. I wanted to broaden my focus, not just put the focus in biotech, but really to bring light on to every industry, every job that kind of to focus more on the career transition. Yeah, that moment of shifting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's very important for people to be able to kind of make their careers grow as they grow. Because mm-hmm. if you've worked in a job or, um, you know, for a few years, or if you're just fresh out of college or just got your, your degree, sometimes you 
you realize that what you're doing is not what you want to continue to do in the next five years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's totally normal and very, very okay. And if you're in that situation, some people just kind of get stuck doing the same thing and they don't really enjoy it, but they don't know what yeah, to do about safe. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think some other people decide to do something about it. And that process is definitely not easy. You know, it's, it, it, it's really hard. And especially if you've dedicated a lot of time and effort into what you were doing before you, you feel like you're probably just throwing away you know years and years of dedication and money and time sure. yeah, oh my gosh yeah definitely and uh, I can relate <laughs> to that feeling. yeah and so it's even hard to just decide on you're gonna switch and so I hope mm -hmm. to we, we hope to talk to people who been through the same process and to have have their voices tell listeners that hey you know this is not easy but it's worth doing and I think to live a happy life, it's very important that you enjoy what you do as a career as well. And if your careers cannot make you happy, then you should do something about it. I don't think anybody has the perfect or the right answer for everybody. So I just try to, uh, you know, have different people tell their stories and hope that some of them can resonate with the, the listeners. So that's the, the story behind behind our podcast. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful for it because it's how all three of us met. So I, I'm very appreciative for yeah. it indeed. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's that moment of courage that it requires to say, yep, I'm going to do this. I've been thinking about it. I've been in my back of my head. I've maybe been thinking about it for years now to make the transition. But that final moment to declare it to the universe and either quit your job or be forced to make the jump. But there's always going to be an interesting story there for mm -hmm. sure. So I, I love that you have tapped into that. It's a really great idea. And I've, I've listened to the episodes and I've enjoyed all of them. And I love that the net is wide in who you speak to because every industry has a different story or lens that it approaches from. So I think it's a really cool narrative to be highlighting for sure. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been really fun talking to different people and really, you know, listen to them tell their story and just feel really, really inspired by their courage. Like we were just, mm. you know, previously in the past hour, we were just talking and I was really, really inspired by the things you said about bringing a different perspective into coding and, you know, being able to hire different talent coming from not necessarily the traditional for your background. And, you know, they don't always have to be alike. The important thing is to hire different people that can mm -hmm. really help solve the, the common problems that we're all trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I started this podcast because I knew that I was entering the tech space with this unconventional route to tech. And I was so, I was feeling such crazy desire to speak to other people that had also gone through that mm -hmm. transition and wanting to understand, you know, how are you framing your narrative mm -hmm. to your employer yeah. and how do you do it? And so I'm so lucky though, that it also has exposed me to such incredible people too. You know, mm -hmm. I did it wanting to have the excuse to hear how people did it and to kind of learn from them and it's turned into such a lovely way of understanding that courage um, as you spoke to and seeing the commonalities that we all have in, in what we're seeking in our jobs and that journey of forever learning. And it's really lovely to see how it unites us all as well. So yeah. it's a fun space to be in for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you for telling me that story about it. But I'm curious uh, to jump back into our, the transition to tech piece. Angela, if you could tell me more about a time maybe you felt like an outsider and how you've dealt with that feeling. Yeah, so I think probably the most recent time I felt like an outsider was when I, you know, transitioned from the operations side <laughs> to being a product manager again, but then this time working on an internal tools because the yeah. team had actually already been put together and they had started already work um, a few months already without 
a product manager. So, you know, mm. quote unquote, you know, you would say things were working and everything's produced, every, everyone's producing and, you know, everything's great. And then now I'm coming into this whole mix and trying to learn and meet people. And I just remember looking at their pull request and like, wow, it's in, run in Python, which I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, in addition to feel ooh. like an, ooh, like a new person, you could on the block in like an awkward way. And then again, looking at code, I don't re- really know how to write. Yeah, I would say on multiple levels, I felt like an outsider. Oh my gosh. And probably with opinions then from a business perspective of how they should be spending their time, which may differentiate mm-hmm. from what they were wanting to do, which then made you position is the bad guy, which probably didn't feel very good either. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely very awkward. <laughs> New so how transition. did you get through that? Um, yeah. I will say, I think um, on a personal level, maybe somewhat forced by the fact that we're in the middle of this whole COVID situation where everything is remote mm. now. I guess I used to, in the past, felt that it's a little harder to open up about things and talk about things remotely through like a video video call but this is all we have now so I guess I kind of was forced a little bit outside of my comfort zone but still to just you know kind of be that first person to ask questions you know and be that first person to say I feel like I'm not really understanding how all these other pieces um, fit together and how they all work together who can I talk to can you point me to somebody or are you the person can I put something on your calendar so I can help myself learn a little bit more about, you know, how these systems work together in order for me to do my role. And I think a lot of times it's important for you to open yourself up and tell other people that, you know, your goal really is to be a great product manager to make sure things happen and get prioritized in the right way. And that we, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of influence the roadmap, like you said, um, in a sense that makes sense for the business and in a way that makes sense for the team to kind of, I guess, just really be genuine and authentic about what you need to achieve as an individual. Even though it's Mm -hmm. through a weird format that you might not be familiar with, it's to people that you've never seen in real life, actually. Yeah, yeah, but just, I guess, be authentic and true to yourself and then, you know, be very honest about the fact that you don't know, but you're willing to learn and you have what it takes to learn. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really cool that you're willing to demonstrate that vulnerability to your team too, because then that allows others to as yeah. well. And so you're creating that space for everyone to then be able to to share, oh, wait, I didn't understand that either. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess I was surprised that a lot of times I, I asked, oh, how did we determine the minimum number there? And people would say, oh, I was just picked because we didn't know. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I just asked that yeah, question. Exactly. So I'm sure that taught a few other people that, you know, a few things about how certain things were decided. And then we all start to feel a little more comfortable about sharing some of our assumptions and, you know, ask questions. That's incredible. It, it does require someone to be the person to ask the questions, yeah. though. So I think it's incredible that you're taking that role and opportunity and demonstrating it for the team. So that's that's super. I, I think that's great advice. Actually, that's a good transition because I'm curious to know if you have any advice for folks that are wanting to transition into tech that you could share. Totally. I think I, I will still say that, you know, you just do your research and understand what is it about tech that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. draws you in. Um, is it the fact that you, you know, want you want to be able to, I don't know, maybe learn how to write a certain language, make things show up on the UI, make things pretty? Or is it about the fact that technology really just connects all of us in many different ways on many different levels and you want to be part of that community? I guess identifying what it is that really, you know, draws you in is a wonderful way to start. I think that's smart. Another thing is, you know, to kind of 
start with the things that are free and accessible to you. And there are so many resources, mm-hmm. right? I think, so many. yeah, like really just do a Google search and you'll find like 20 things and even more that you had never heard of and then start there and then start to go deeper. And something that Lauren, you mentioned in our conversation earlier is also really finding a community that, you know, speaks to you and then work your way, your way up to the point where maybe eventually you can also help others in that community. And obviously none of that happens overnight. You want to be that person mm-hmm. that maybe, I, I think my approach really is to, you know, I want to be a community and then I'm just going to lurk in the background and watch people's <laughs> conversation. And then eventually sure. I kind of work up the courage to like ask a question maybe, and then suggest maybe we hang out in person <laughs> versus doing yeah. it virtually, but find whatever way that works for you. Cause we're all a little different anyway. But I think finding a community where you have people that are passionate about certain things, you know, similarly the way you are, I think that's a great way to start. And then you'll have people that, you know, will be very happy to help you, whether it's learning something new or pointing you to the right connection. That's great advice. Well, and I'm so happy to be chatting with you today, too, Mm -hmm. because I think the outward perception of a role in tech is we jump immediately to coding. but you in product are equally in tech as well. And so it's so interesting and important to hear about all the roles that encompass a tech team Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the parts of the life cycle to get something out in front of a customer, a user on their phone or in their computer screen. Uh, And so it's it's important to understand kind of the different options that are available to us when we enter tech. And I think I'm on a mission just to make sure that I can kind of check the box of all types Mm -hmm. of roles by the end of 20. 20 because I don't want someone who's sitting in a role of maybe an engineer and feeling, you know, frustrated or unfulfilled. Like I want them to realize that there are so many other things that they can pursue, but also to debunk this concept of that you need to be good at math or that you need to be a particular style of learner or have a history of classes that is required to be successful yeah, in tech no, as for well. Sure. That's an important thing to debunk yeah. too. So there's a lot of well, a lot of things there, but I appreciate you saying that for sure. Yeah. No, I, I also want to actually <laughs> side note share a story that I also try to remember and tell myself. And this the story actually is not my story. So I'm gonna credit the story to uh, my then boyfriend who told me about the story, who's now my husband. He said that. So he's one of those people that if you're an unconventional person that are working in tech right now, um, you will look at his profile and say, wow, he just has a very linear career. He spent four years in college studying computer science and the only job he's ever taken is working as a software engineer. But the story that he told me that, you know, to this day still kind of motivates me and makes me feel like it's okay to be lost and not know anything and feel very dumb is he told me that the first time he ever took a computer science class in college, he actually dropped it and he thought it was too hard and he gave up. But something mm. got into him and he decided to take the class again. And that was really his the beginning of his journey to literally a 10 plus years as a software engineer in the industry. And I think it's a really interesting story because you hear a lot about you know, people being very, I guess, relentless and the persistence, you know, coming from an unconventional path. But, you know, just remind yourself that, you know, somebody who has, I guess, all of the linear thing and all of the checkboxes checked from like an ideal resume has the same struggle. Yeah. So it's okay. It's okay to be stuck and it's okay to think something is hard, but just don't give up. Keep going. Absolutely. That's encouraging. That is encouraging. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so important to remember because I think it's easy to look at someone else's resume and to make those assumptions too. Mm -hmm. And and there's so much that goes on in our learning journey and our experiences that contribute to who we are. So we're whole people. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) 
Uh, okay. So why don't you both make your shout out? What would you like the listeners to go check out? Yeah. So we have obviously a podcast that we mentioned a few times. It's called Work in Progress. So if you're somebody that's interested in, you know, potentially dabbling into a career that you've never experienced in, or, you know, you're thinking about pivoting to something that will make you less worried about waking up on Monday mornings, <laughs> please go check that out. And we also have a blog on Medium. You can find us. Um, it's also called Work in Progress, where Dana spends a lot of time compiling a lot of wonderful summaries. And we write a lot about career transitions and how to be a little bit more motivated and kind of keeping on that same focus of, you know, finding more meaning in your career and um, not focusing on necessarily any particular industry or any particular title, but more focusing on finding meaning in your professional life. I will definitely include uh, links to that in the show notes for Thank sure. Thank you. Thanks. I want to acknowledge that blog. It's such inspiration goals too. Like I was scrolling through it recently and just, it made me feel encouraged. Oh, and I you. think that the more we can have of that in the world, the better. And so yes, listeners, please definitely be sure to go check that out and bookmark it because it's when you're feeling down and blue, it's great to read those stories for sure. <laughs> so, okay. You. Of course. Uh, where can listeners find the both of you online? So we are on work in progress blocks on Instagram and on Medium is the same as well. Fantastic. All right. Thank well, you thank so you much. again, both of you for chatting with me today and sharing your story of your transition to tech. It has been such a pleasure to get to know you both better. And I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and advice. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you so much, Lauren. <laughs> okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.